kid, everybody be icy. Million dollar posse, always there to watch me. Y'all know what I wrestle with. I used to be reckless. Now I'm trying to tell y'all what the message is. Welcome, true believers, to Wrestle with Hope, a wrestling podcast with a Saturday morning sentiment and Sunday morning values. I'm your host, Wayne Cordova. My wrestling fandom covers the birth of Hulkamania, past the Monday Night Wars, and all the way to this modern era. Each episode, we talk about what's happening this week in wrestling currently. We talk about what happened this week in wrestling history, and then we give the go-home signal with a Wrestle with Hope word for the week. And along the way, you'll catch a a glimpse of what my wrestling past was like and why I still watch now. You know, this past week in wrestling, uh, we had a lot of group gatherings. I'm talking about a lot of chaos happening throughout each of the shows that we cover here on WWH. So let's dive right on into the National Wrestling Alliance, NWA Power, Episode 6. NWA Power kicks off with a special interview with the eight-time NWA World Tag Team Champions, the Rock and Roll Express. You've seen them all over the world lately, including New Japan Wrestling, uh, WWE Hall of Fame, All Elite Wrestling last week. And then they came home to the National Wrestling Alliance, the NWA. uh, And uh, they may be, uh, could they possibly be heading for a challenge for the NWA World Tag Team Championships? That's what happened on this past interview. We got a little bit closer to finding out what is up with the Rock and Roll Express. Also on that show, Marty Bell and Thunder Rosa, they debuted as a tag team after they joined forces last week against the NWA Women's World Champion Allison Kay. Trevor Murdoch faced off against Caleb Conley in a one-on-one action. And plus, we had the debut of the mysterious question mark. The main event of the show was Outlaw Inc., Eddie Kingston, and Homicide versus the Wild Cards, Tom Latimer and Royce Isaacs for the NWA World Tag Team Champions. Well, Nick Aldis was interviewed during the show. He said he had some, uh, he said that this business, the NWA, and the fans, Oh, the wrestlers, nothing. That he does things the right way and mentioned his interactions with Dory Funk Jr. and Harley Race in the past. He said he was going to sit ringside for the main event to make sure no shenanigans took place. I love that uh, Nick Aldis, by the way, is becoming the morality police in uh, NWA. Latimer, uh, later, uh, later on during the main event, Thomas Latimer dropped Kingston with a right hand in the corner. He made it to the corner and homicide. Entered the match. Cornette noted, by the way, no one is cosplaying as a wrestler in this match, by the way. Kingston took a DDT but fought back against Latimer. Kingston's knee gave out on the suplex, and Latimer attacked the injured body part like a good tag team wrestler should. With all four men down on the ground, by the way, uh, the audience started chanting, NWA, NWA. Homicide. Shoved uh, was shoved off the turnbuckle and landed on the edge of the apron right there in front of Nick Aldis. Wildcard double-teamed Kingston and then Isaacs pinned him after hitting Hush Money. Your winners were Thomas Latimer and Royce Isaacs, the wildcards. Camille then, in the middle of all this, Camille, who's been silent, by the way, came out, started yelling something at Nick Aldis. Aldis stopped her. This led to all the teams from the tag division emerging from the back. And then you also had Eli Drake and Ken Anderson. You had the Dawsons. You had James Storm. They were all out there arguing with each other to end the show. Everybody was arguing. All the titles represented kind of an interesting thing. I don't know if this is kind of building up to something big when it comes to uh, NWA Into the Fire, the big pay-per-view. But we'll have to wait and see. Chaos at the end of that show. And uh, it did not stop there, guys, because then we dive right into... NXT, Leo Rush defeated Angel Garza to retain the NXT, excuse me, Cruiserweight Championship. Rush pinned Garza after a frog splash, and the ref counted to three, but Garza's foot was on the rope, so this means, obviously, this is not over. A camera then found Tegan Knox and Rhea Ripley outside, both down after being attacked. We don't know who, and we don't really know why. Does this have anything to do with the war games? Does this have anything to do with Survivor Series? Don't know. We're literally planning two big, giant, team-based pay-per-views for one weekend in a chaos all over the place. 
Later on in the night, Finn Balor cut a promo mocking Johnny Gargano and then changed the subject over to Matt Riddle, only to be interrupted and then attacked by Matt Riddle. Riddle chased Balor out of the ring, only to be surrounded by the Undisputed Era. Riddle's War Games teammates showed up to have his back. Keith Lee challenged Adam Cole to a match, but Roderick Strong accepted instead. Then you had Keith Lee defeating Roderick Strong. Lee pinned Strong after a supernova non-title match, by the way. The Undisputed Era attacked after the match, and then Dominic Dijakovic made the save, earning the fourth spot on Tommaso Ciampa's War Games team. Jessamine Duke, Marina Shafir, and Candice LeRae were also found beaten up outside, but they didn't know who did it. And then, by the way, Scarlett Bordeaux was out there and uh, looking, looking, tending uh, to Candice. So, uh, I guess her debut on NXT just now. Isaiah Swerve Scott defeated Bronson Reed. Scott got the pin after Reed failed to hit a suplex, and then Matt Riddle came out officially facing Finn Balor at War Games, which means that he's out of the War Games match. It turns out that Dijakovic was taking his spot, and uh, then there's still another slot still to be filled on Ciampa's team. wonder who would that be. Man, I would love for it to be Pete Dunne, but it's not going to be because uh, we got another setup here. Pete Dunne and Killian Dane were supposed to have a match, but Damian Priest attacked before it could start. Then he took both men down with a, along with a bunch of security guys, so... I don't know. There's a lot of hate flying around, and then I'm kind of I'm I was looking forward to the the war games build up, but then you know these guys were standing in the ring together at um at Raw last night. I mean they were just they were standing there like Damian Priest was on the same team as Killian Dane and Pete Dunne. Uh, I just I, I I love keeping things positive, but I just wish that it's just a simple thing, just a simple thing. Let's keep a chart as to who doesn't like each other, and then keep those people away on TV. That's just, uh, that's all I ask. Io Shirai, in the main event, defeated Mia Yim. By the way, Mia Yim's interview on Chasing Glory uh, with Lillian Garcia, unbelievable. Make sure you check that out. Io Shirai defeated Mia Yim in a ladder match for the advantage in the women's war games. Oh, I loved this. This was so great. Match... Uh, Match of the week, as far as I'm concerned. Dakota Kai got involved as well, but NXT UK Women's Champion. Did I said that right? NXT UK Women's Champion Kaylee Ray got on a plane, made it all the way to Orlando, and just to attack Dakota Kai and Mia Yim, helping Io Shirai get the win. After the match, Shayna Baszler, Bianca Belair, entered to celebrate with Yim and Ray, and that appears to be the fourth member of the team, rounds it all out. The NXT Women's War Games team has been nailed down. And then Bailey showed up to attack Shayna Baszler and then ran off. What was that all about? I don't know. We're trying to set up war games here. And then you got you got your Survivor Series getting into my war games. And, uh, you know, could this be two great tastes to go great together? We'll find out this coming weekend, guys, because this is going to be a big, 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 big weekend. AEW Dynamite. Also happened on Wednesday. The show started off with a video of Kenny Omega seeing uh, some doctors about his injuries from Full Gear. One of the just, just nasty, gruesome matches. I did not like it. Did not enjoy seeing it. Um, not cool. Uh, but anyway, Kenny's not cleared to wrestle, but Johnny Moxley is. And uh, so in the opening match, John Moxley defeated Michael Nakazawa. Um, Nakazawa was no match for Mox, who pinned him after um, his uh, DDT finisher. And after the match, Moxley cut a promo saying that he told the truth about what was going to happen at full gear. And he said that nobody in AEW um, could get in the ring with him and uh, challenged anybody, anybody uh, to step up. Then you had the Dark Order defeating Jurassic Express. Marco Stunt took the pin as usual after taking a fatality. But however, after the match, the Dark Order attempted to recruit Marco Stunt and Jungle Boy, offering them the creeper masks. I mean, I, by the way, I love the Creepers. They remind me of, um, oh, whoa, man, who are the guys from the Power Rangers? The Putties. They remind me of the Putties because literally they're just there to be, they're just like Jawas. They're like Jawas to the Mandalorian. Just, they're there to be di disintegrated. Spoilers. Um, you can't say spoilers after you say the spoiler, by the way. You got to say it 
beforehand. That's just, that's the rule. However, here they are, right? They're trying to force them to wear the mask, get that on there. And uh, they weren't interested. And the new order then beat them up until. That's right. Dun, 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 dun. Luchasaurus returned to make the save. And listen, the whole entire segment ended with the entire Jurassic Express reunited, standing tall, and the crowd going wild for Luchasaurus. And that made me so, so happy. The whole crowd shouting Luchasaurus. Um, if you know about Luchasaurus, you know his story. Much deserved success to this guy. And um, can't wait to see what happens with the now reunited Jurassic Express. Darby Allen, by the way, defeated Sean Spears. Um, and Peter Avalon. Uh, Janela interrupted the match to attack Spears. Uh, the two fought their way out of the arena, just leaving two men in the ring. And after that, it really didn't take long for Allen to hit the coffin drop and pin Peter Avalon. After the match, Darby Allen accepted John Moxley's challenge. Challenge. So there you go. Later in the match, uh, later in the night, Tony Schiavone uh, interviewed Allie at ringside, talked about her place in the AEW rankings. She said that it was a time to prove herself on and on dynamite like she has on dark then the lights went out and then Brandy Rhodes and Awesome Kong entered Ali attacked Kong but Kong just knocked her out and she and Brandy then took a lock of Ali's hair this is a new thing now they're just just bringing knives into the wrestling matches and they're chopping off locks who are they Bruce Beefcake bring him back Chris Jericho cut an in-ring promo about how he has defeated everyone AEW has sent his way, including Cody. And then he was interrupted by what looked like Cody's entrance, but it turns out it was, nope, MJF, Maxwell Jacob Friedman. MJF confronts the hostile crowd and then says that uh, if he hadn't thrown in the towel, Cody's career would be over. Calls Cody the real villain of this story and says that Cody tried to make him a puppet. Never really cared about him. MGF, MJF uh, calls himself the new face of AEW. Chris Jericho. Now, now here's the thing. This is the next part. This was like, this really, this brought back fond memories. Okay, fond memories of um, the uh, the best friends here. Not 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 Trent and and uh, Chuck Taylor. Um, I'm talking about like the real best friends. Chris Jericho. And Kevin Owens and their friendship. It, this brought back shades of that. They're arguing back and forth with each other. They're bickering back and forth with each other and laughing and hugging at the end of it. Um, it was great. Can't wait to see where this goes. Anything Chris Jericho's involved with, man, in, when it comes to AEW, I've been on board with. He's been just um, so good. I mean, he is in like a second prime, in my, in my opinion. When it comes to AEW, a lot of stuff is hit or miss. Chris Jericho is in a second prime. That's just that's all I got to say. Chris Jericho then tries to get MJF to admit that he wants to join the inner circle. I'm literally, it's like, do you want to join the inner circle? Are you asking me to join the inner circle? Do you want to join the inner circle? Are you asking me to join the inner circle? And then I can't do it justice after that. They're talking over each other and then they stop. It is so well, so well done. And then, then they blame it on Cody. It was just great. Eventually, Cody does show up, attacks both of them. And then Wardlow appears and attacks Cody. Wardlow appears to be a side uh, allied with uh, MJF, and I think that'd be good. Just keep them separate. I think you keep Jericho and MJF like separate, but not on the same team. I think that that's you got to kind of spread out the bad guys here, spread them out. And um, I'm loving it. It's so good. Pack defeated Hangman Adam Page. By the way, we're going to be getting a million of these rematches. I don't know why, but Pack hit the black arrow into the brutalizer. Referee Bryce Remsburg stopped the match, but Pack refused to release the hold until Bryce made him. Later on in the match, uh, you had um, a uh, oh later on in the night you had a big brawl between the Young Bucks battling Santana and Ortiz backstage. Highlights of that included Santana leaping off the top of a forklift. Yep, said forklift. Uh, and by the way, forklift involved in the finish of a Falls Count Anywhere match on Raw and involved in a backstage brawl in AEW. I wonder if it's the same forklift. Then a door was flung open to reveal an unbothered Orange Cassidy just kind of standing there hanging out. Who knows why? After the commercial break, the brawl had moved into the arena. and Matt Jackson went through the 
uh, section of the, of the stage. And then private party intervened to put a stop to Ortiz and Santana's attack. Um, later on, SCU came out, did their usual worst town ever promo. Then we had Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky, the AEW World Tag Team Champions, by the way, along with Christopher Daniels defeating Sammy Guevara and Chris Jericho. Scorpio Sky cradled and pinned Jericho. Jericho expressed his outrage by throwing furniture all over the place. This Could this be a little breakout moment for Scorpio Sky? Don't know. It'd be good if it did, maybe. I don't know. I think it'd, I think it'd be awesome. On November the 15th, we had Friday Night SmackDown. A lot of kind of, a lot of things were going on with that, you know, especially when it came to, um, when it comes to to uh, the Survivor Series buildup. I mean, I mean, here's what we had so far. Um, you know, we had Baron Corbin opening up the show, Dolph Ziggler, Robert Roode talking about um, Roman Reigns, Chad Gable, and Ali. Then they brought out Roman Reigns as a dog mascot dressed like Reigns <laughs> um, and just barking along to Reigns music. The dog knelt in front of, you know, Corbin and just normal kind of Corbin-y, corny stuff, right? All right, cool. I bet you anything that we're going to be selling plushies of Roman Reigns dogs in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> um, then uh, you had some more stuff with, like, you know, uh, Mustafa Ali and Shorty G beating Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. You had Braun Strowman beating up Drew Gulak and the B team. Uh, but where's Tyson Fury? They're a tag team now, but he wasn't there. Anyway, uh, Dan O'Brien then confronted Sami Zayn about claiming to have his back while running away from the Fiend's attack last week. Zayn said he was running to get Nakamura, <laughs> and then he thought Brian was running with him. Brian turned down Zayn's offer to join him and said he's going to recruit, uh, he should recruit Braun Strowman instead. And Zayn then made fun of Braun Strowman, who, of course, was just standing right behind him. That's right. Uh, then we had the Firefly Funhouse and Bray Wyatt using a little bit of his magic to turn the Universal Championship blue. That's right. He used the, his, the, the SmackDown Championship is now blue. Um, and uh, immediately, by the way, Bray Wyatt's magic is so good. So good. That within seconds of him turning that belt blue, magically, it was available on WWEshop.com. Imagine that. SmackDown Tag Team Champions The New Day defeated The Revival by disqualification after interference from the Undisputed Era. Then we had a bunch of random folks from the SmackDown locker room come out to try and make the save. But here things start ramping up. Bailey. Had a match against Nikki Cross with Cross competing to join the SmackDown Women's Survivor Series team. But it ended when Shayna Baszler appeared. She wanted to get her payback from what happened on Wednesday, I'm sure. Bailey tried to escape into the crowd but was stopped by Rhea Ripley. Up, oh, Tegan Knox, Dakota Kai, and Mia Yim. Why are they helping Baszler? Like, wh why? I don't know. Anyway. They're helping Baszler. This is this is one of those things where Survivor Series also happens, by the way, in a multiverse. So uh, Saudi shows happen in a multiverse. Mixed match challenges happen in a multiverse. And so does uh, Survivor Series. Because only in Survivor Series time can War Games opponents be there to assist each other in this whole thing. I'm not sure why this makes sense. I don't know. Um, why do you want to kill each other in the war games, double ring steel cage match only to then support each other and be all rah, rah team NXT. In my opinion, this is just my opinion. This is how I would book it. Okay. The way that I would book it is NXT are heels. So you use all heels when it comes to team NXT, because anyway, when it comes to the crowd, they're popular with the crowd anyway, but just use Undisputed Era, Shayna Baszler and the Four Horsewomen. Use anybody on Team Baszler you want. That's fine. But just make it all, make them all heels. Okay? And then when it comes to um, Raw or SmackDown, make Raw or SmackDown either all heels or all faces. And what I would, what I would rather see happen is maybe, maybe you have Team SmackDown be the faces. And you have all of them, Right? That you know that that is involved in this Survivor Series thing, just be be the be the face. 
than be have Robbie heels. And at the end of this, because of this huge investment that's being made, likely SmackDown's going to come out on top into all this stuff. But what I'm trying to like make sense is let's kind of have some kind of alignment when it comes to setting up these matches. And um, I think that that would just make it would just make a lot of sense. You could tell such really good stories coming from that. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Sasha Banks, Dana Brooke, and Carmella. They made the save in that who in that whole uh, let's just call it a brouhaha. Uh, Banks then challenged the NXT women to an eight eight women you know, tag team match, and so that's that's where it went from there. So you had Sasha Banks, Carmella, Dana Brooke, and Nikki Cross, who are already going to be on Team SmackDown for the Survivor Series, taking on Rhea Ripley, Mia Yim, Tegan Knox, and Dakota Kai. Cross hit a spinning neckbreaker onto Kai to win the match for Team SmackDown. And after the match, SmackDown women's roster chased NXT back into the crowd. Daniel Bryan was then the guest on Miz TV and spoke about how passion and mental instability drove him to do some desperate things. He and the Miz argued about why the Fiend attacked Bray, uh, Bryan until the Firefly Funhouse interrupted again. And Wyatt said that he, that, that Bryan, can have a shot at the Universal Championship, and all he has to do is say, yes, yes, yes. Wyatt's puppets then tried to goad Brian into doing the yes chant, but he refused. And then Wyatt ended the segment with the sarcastic, yes, yes, yes. It was really cool. It was awesome. I still have one question, though. Do you remember? Do you remember back when there was uh, Talking Smack and... Daniel Bryan was Team SmackDown all the way, right? And do you remember how he made fun of the Universal Championship and made fun of it as it not being a real championship? And he said, I would never challenge to be champion of the galaxy or universe or whatever that is. Do you remember that? So here he is. And uh, never say never in the WWE because here he is challenging for the Universal Championship at Survivor Series. So... There's that. You know, we got Daniel Bryan versus The Fiend, and um, it's for the Universal Championship. The new blue Universal Championship. Then we made it pass through the weekend into Raw on November the 18th. Becky Lynch opened the show with a promo calling out Shayna Baszler, but then the Iconics interrupted. Upset that they weren't even considered for the Raw Women's Survivor Series team, Lynch then challenged them to a handicap match. They accepted. But then Charlotte Flair showed up anyway to make this a tag team match. In the middle of all that, by the way, Samoa Joe showed up and uh, joined the commentary team because Dio Madden, he got F5'd on the table, man. That, that, if you're a commentator, that's at least three weeks paid. Three weeks paid, you're out. And uh, so maybe Dio will be back in time for the Survivor Series. But Joe did a great job, by the way, on commentary. Then you had a uh, dive, you know, right into all the matches and stuff, right? You had Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair defeating the Iconics by submission in short order when Flair and Lynch did some simultaneous finishers, right? To Billy Kay and Peyton Royce. And then after the match, Shayna Baszler, Jessamyn Duke, and Marina Shafir attacked Flair and Lynch. This was great. Flair and Lynch then just chased them out into the crowd and they were stopped by security. And security's like, no, 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 you can't go back here and chase after the people that just trespassed onto this ring. And then Becky Lynch just punched one of the security guys right in the face. And when they went to slow-mo replay, that guy's head, like, vibrated. It was insane. It was just insane. And uh, it was like just Becky Lynch coming out. This time last year, right, this time last year, just Becky, you know, remember she had like the whole bloody face thing going on. And again, coming out on top, just doing a great job. Then you had Charlie uh, Caruso interviewing Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins. Poor guys about their scheduled Raw Tag Team Championship match. Then AOP interrupted, got in their faces and attacked them. But then later on, it wasn't AOP that took their title match. Anyway, it was just I just felt bad for Zack and Kurt getting beat up by the authors of pain. Then we had some more uh, uh, action going on. Humberto Carrillo defeated Carl Anderson. Tree Profits showed up at ringside to counter Luke Gallows and AJ Styles. Gallows then interfered by choking Carrillo on the top rope, allowing Anderson to grab Carrillo in a small package. Uh, no, yeah. 
Montez Ford then rolled them over so that Humberto could get the pin. Good job, guys. Way to go. Teamwork. Then uh, then we had a Bobby Lashley-Lana Rusev segment. Yeah. Seth Rollins defeated Andrade for... Uh, uh, no, Seth Rollins versus Andrade for Rollins' spot on the Raw Men's Survivor C- uh, Series team ended when, of all people, Lucha House Party attacked. They attacked Rollins and then Andrade. Rollins made the save for Andrade, and they, and they agreed to have another match sometime soon. Buddy Murphy knocked on Aleister Black's door and challenged him. Then Murphy walked away, and uh, Black answered the door confused. Didn't know who knocked. He's going to have to watch the tape. Let's see who happened. Who happened to walk by his door? Triple H arrived at the arena. Then you had Buddy Murphy in ring defeating Akira Tozawa in a great match on Raw. Murphy's Law, he defeated Tozawa with Murphy's Law. After the match, Murphy tried to knock on Aleister Black's door again. And then this time, Black answered and stared him down. Eric Rowan defeated Alex Malcolm. Who's Alex Malcolm? Don't know. Alex Malcolm uh, was defeated by Eric Rowan. Then you had R-Truth chasing the Bollywood boys to the ring during the match, leading to Rowan attacking them all as well. Rowan won with his Iron Claw Slam, still carrying his little mystery pet. Can't wait to find out what's in there. With Ryder and Hawkins injured, by the way, Randy Orton challenged the Viking Raiders to face him and a mystery partner later that night. Kevin Owens versus Drew McIntyre. Another, another great match while it lasted. It ended without a result while, uh, when uh, Triple H interrupted. The NXT stars were blocking the ramp. Triple H put over Owens as the guy who doesn't fit in the mold in the main roster and teased, asking him to return to NXT. Then random Raw wrestlers attacked NXT guys, and the Undisputed Era attacked Owens. Triple H then looking visibly upset with uh, Adam Cole over this attack. It was really interesting. The OC made the save, chasing the Undisputed Era into the crowd. Then we got an announcement that next week on Raw, by the way, Humberto Carrillo faces AJ Styles for the United States Championship. We had a great segment, by the way, with Paul Heyman. He was talking about Brock Lesnar versus Rey Mysterio at Survivor Series. It was made into a no-holds-barred match. Mysterio then responded to the announcement by saying he's not afraid and it's coming for both Revenge and the WWE Championship. And then, in the main event, in the go-home Raw show for Survivor Series, you had the Raw Tag Team Championship match, the Viking Raiders versus Randy Orton and Ricochet. It ended in another no contest. Ricochet was Orton's mystery partner. And then during the match, SmackDown stars invaded the backstage area and attacked the Raw roster. And then eventually, they made their way ringside and attacked the participants in the tag match. And then this led to a big Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT fight to sell the Survivor Series. Triple H gave Raw and SmackDown an open door to appear on NXT next Wednesday. So we're just going to have to see what happens in the day. We're going to have to find out on the NXT Go Home Show for both War Games and Survivor Series. And we get one more show out of SmackDown on Friday. And then we get the Survivor Series pay-per-view. Hey, if you're a fan of Wrestle With Hope, let me encourage you to make a donation to Ability Tree Florida. This show supports Ability Tree Florida through its online donations. Ability Tree is a nonprofit organization that comes alongside families impacted by disability and provides rest. Through your donation on donorbox.org slash wrestle with hope, you can provide a uh, one month of programming for a family that's involved in Ability Tree Florida. You can also support support groups for moms and dads of children with special needs through your donation. You can even support a Parents Night Out respite program for one month with your donation. All you got to do is check out donorbox.org slash wrestle with hope. We thank you for your support. Okay, so let's talk about what happened this week in wrestling history. And so we're going to kind of go a little bit beyond this week. Last week uh, was a big, big anniversary when it came to the Survivor Series. And so Survivor Series started off traditionally as a Thanksgiving night tradition, according to the WWF. Then it became a Thanksgiving Eve tradition, according to 
the World Wrestling Federation as well. Then it started kind of moving all over the month of November. And so what we're going to do is kind of take a look at a few Survivor Series, uh, just big title matchups. Before we get to the main anniversary that we wanted to talk about today at length, okay? So flashback to 1999, November the 14th. Survivor Series came from Detroit, Michigan that year, and the Big Show defeated Triple H and The Rock in a triple threat match to win the WWF World Championship. Go back a little bit more to 1998 on November the 15th. The Rock defeated Mankind in a big switcheroo to win the vacant WWF Championship in the finals of a one-night tournament. It happened all throughout Survivor Series that year. Definitely worth checking out. An ending you would not have expected back then. 1996, on November the 17th, WWF Survivor Series came straight out of Madison Square Garden. Sid Vicious defeated Shawn Michaels to win the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. Remember when Sid was Shawn's next bodyguard after Diesel? Crazy. I know. But anyway, it was really interesting. Psycho Sid defeated Shawn Michaels for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. Then, in 2002 at Survivor Series, coming out of New York City, we had a lot of things going on all at once. Big Show defeated Brock Lesnar to win the WWE World title. Eddie and Chavo Guerrero defeated Edge and Rey Mysterio Jr. and Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit in a three-way elimination match to capture the SmackDown WWE Tag Team titles. And then in the main event of the evening, Shawn Michaels defeated Triple H, Chris Jericho, Kane, Booker T, and Rob Van Dam in the Elimination Chamber on a Survivor Series to capture the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Traveling out to 2001, November the 18th, Survivor Series came out of Greensboro, North Carolina. And wow, what a lineup. This is in the middle of this whole invasion angle. You had WCW, United States Champion, Edge, you heard that right, pinning WWF Intercontinental Champion, Test, in a unification match. WCW Tag Team Champions, the Dudley Boys, with Stacey Keebler, defeated WWF Tag Team Champions, Matt and Jeff Hardy, in a unification steel cage match. Trish Stratus defeated Lita, Jackie, Ivory, Molly Holly, and Jazz to win the vacant WWF Women's Championship. Then you had Team WWF, which featured WCW World Champion, you heard that right again, The Rock, Chris Jericho, The Big Show, Kane, and The Undertaker. They defeated Team Alliance, which featured WWF World Champion, Steve Austin, Shane McMahon, Kurt Angle, Booker T, and WWF Hardcore Champion Rob Van Dam in an elimination match. Go all the way back to 1995. Bret Hart defeated Diesel to win the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. And then, on my birthday, my birthday, by the way, November the 9th, shared with Le Champion, AEW World Heavyweight Champion, Chris Jericho. Also, former WWE United Kingdom Champion, Pete Dunne. Also, world-famous WCW referee, Nick Patrick. And AEW Spanish announcer, Alex Abrahantes. Happy birthday, guys. Hope it was a great belated birthday. Uh, I, I know I had a great time. I met Chris Jericho this past week at a, uh, at a Kevin Smith screening. So anyway, so more about that another time because we've got something to talk about here today. November the 9th, 1997, the WWF Survivor Series came out of Montreal, Ontario, Canada. Shawn Michaels defeated Bret Hart to win the WWF World Championship. It's known as the Montreal Screwjob. Now, the Montreal Screwjob is without hyperbole one of the most important events in the history of professional wrestling. 
1997, the World Wrestling Federation was facing its most heated competition ever in the form of World Championship Wrestling. The Monday Night Wars had hit full swing, and the New World Order angle, new, new, new World Order, helped give WCW better ratings than the WWF. Vince McMahon saw some seriously hard times ahead for his promotion, which forced him to make some tough decisions. One of those decisions involved a wrestler by the name of Bret the Hitman Hart. Hart had signed an unprecedented 20-year deal with the WWF in 1996 that would have seen him collect a considerable amount of money for his services. McMahon felt like he would have to breach Hart's contract in order to keep the company alive as WCW ran roughshod over the WWF. Backstage tension between Hart and fellow performer Shawn Michaels had also been reaching a boiling point around this time. The two men infamously didn't get along and backstage tensions between Hart and Michaels were becoming a common sight. Between the desire to get away from Shawn and the promised fiscal security of, w of the WCW contract, Brett saw no other choice but to jump ship to WCW. In fact, if you saw the Hitman Heart Wrestling with Shadows documentary, you saw that there was this conversation going on between Hart and McMahon, where McMahon said, I can't pay you. Go to WCW. In November 1997, Bret Hart, then reigning WWF champion, signed a contract with WCW for a guaranteed $3 million a year. Hart's last contractually obligated appearance on WWF programming would take place at Survivor Series 1997 in Montreal. Bret Hart would face off against Shawn Michaels in the main event with the WWF championship on the line. The WWF hadn't scheduled a show as Hart's last match with the company and, and, and as his working agreement ran for three weeks after the pay-per-view. And WCW gave him verbal approval to work another pay-per-view in early December. This December pay-per-view would have likely seen Brett drop the title in a four-way match to either Michaels, if Michaels agreed to lose in Montreal, or another wrestler who would later lose to Michaels if Michaels refused to do that job. Well, Sean refused to lose the, the Survivor Series match to Bret Hart under any circumstances. Hart made it clear that he would not lose to Michaels in Montreal. The exit clause in Bret Hart's contract required Brett and Vince to come to an agreement on any booking decisions regarding Hart, which left Brett holding all the cards. Michaels and Hart's mutual stubbornness placed Vince McMahon between the proverbial rock and a hard place. The original plan for Brett Hart for the, for the finish of this match, according to Hart, would have seen Shawn Michaels use Brett Hart's sharpshooter submission hold against Hart himself after a ref bump. Once Michaels applied the hold, Hart would reverse it, leading to a few more near falls. Then, feuding factions, Degeneration X, to which Michaels belonged to, and the Hart Foundation, to which Bret Hart belonged to, would run in, stage a huge brawl between the groups, and cause the match to be tossed out on a double DQ. Again, in the Hitman Hart documentary, Wrestling With Shadows, he called it a big schmoz. Let's end it in a big schmoz, and I'll drop it later. This ending would leave Bret Hart open to drop the title at the aforementioned four-way match. Hart briefly discussed simply giving up the title on TV, but at that point, McMahon had committed to what was about to happen. So he agreed to nearly anything Bret Hart had said in order to get Bret to just perform at the Survivor Series. However, McMahon was nervous about sending Hart out of the company as the champion. McMahon still had some leftover anger concerning then-WWF Women's Champion Alundra Blaze, Medusa, tossing the WWF Women's Championship in the trash live on WCW Monday Nitro. McMahon repeatedly, reportedly feared Hart would show up on WCW programming with the WWF Championship and toss the belt in the trash, or worse. Even though the WWF had filed multiple lawsuits regarding Bla the Blaze incident against WCW, Hart had since Hart had refused to drop the belt to Michaels in Canada, McMahon had to worry about the possibility of Brett jumping ship with the championship belt. And so Vince hatched a plot on the night of Survivor Series. When Michaels caught Hart in the sharpshooter submission hold, as planned, 
McMahon ordered referee Earl Hebner to ring the bell as if Hart had submitted to the hold, despite Hart clearly having done no such thing. The, this ended the match. Michaels was the champion. And it screwed Bret Hart out of a way out of the WWF without a proper send-off. This singular moment became one of the most controversial, shocking, and altogether important events in the history of pro wrestling. The Montreal Screwjob sent Bret Hart packing to WCW on very bad terms with WWF and destroyed the veil of any sense of kayfabe for any fans around the world. Vince, who had hoped that the whole thing would blow over with time, suddenly found himself as the most hated man in all of professional wrestling once people found out what had really happened. The next night on Raw, McMahon famously said that Brett screwed Brett. And this served as the launching pad for the Mr. McMahon character, an evil boss who would handpick his own champions while screwing babyface wrestlers out of their own matches. McMahon ended up having a much bigger on-screen role than he could ever have imagined, playing the role of evil boss to the hilt as he feuded with Stone Cold Steve Austin during the Attitude Era. That feud would, be, would come to define both the era itself and the corrupt corporate executive role in professional wrestling for years to come. The Montreal Screwjob actually qualifies as, you know, as hilarious, really, in hindsight. I mean, when you think about it, consider this. Bret Hart won his first title in the WWF, the Hart Foundation. Hart and his brother, his brother-in-law, Jim the Anvil Neidhart. They, uh, they were with Jimmy the Mouth of the South Hart. They defeated the British Bulldogs, Dynamite Kid and Davy Boy Smith, another brother-in-law, by the way, not <laughs> for the WWF World Tag Team Championship on February the 7th, 1987. Bret and Anvil won due to referee Danny Davis generally ignoring Hart's double-teaming and, and all their cheating, spending most of the time checking on injured Danny Dave, uh, uh, injured uh, Dynamite Kid. And by the way, he was playing that role because Dynamite Kid just could not actually walk in that match. After the Hearts won the match, Davis left with them, so it was like all of this, like Bret Hart's first win happened with referee shenanigans and his last loss in WWF with referee shenanigans as well. Bret Hart left the WWF and after three years was just floundering around in WCW thanks to really bad booking and nobody really knowing what to do with him. This is all despite Hart being, at the time, quote, the hottest free agent in professional wrestling, something that McMahon himself predicted would happen. The people pressuring Eric Bischoff, the head of WCW creative at the time, didn't want Hart to get over if he jumped ship. WCW kept Brett on the shelf for over a month before even just kind of having him debut in a match with Ric Flair and then just being buried in a pointless United States Championship feud. Thanks to an errant kick by Bill Goldberg during a match in, in 2000, Bret Hart suffered a career-ending concussion and retired from in-ring action. A stroke suffered after Hart's retirement ensured that, save for a couple of special circumstances where he doesn't really have to take a bump, he'll never perform in the ring again. Following his retirement, Hart had very little love loss for WWF, thanks both to the screw job and also the death of his brother Owen in 1999. He managed to put his animosity aside to preserve his legacy. He worked with WWE to produce a DVD that became widely acclaimed as a great retrospective on his career. Until Bret Hart, in 2006, then accepted an induction into the WWE Hall of Fame, making his first appearance on WWE programming of any kind in nearly a decade. A few years later, Hart signed up again with the WWE to ensure a proper and honorable exit from the business. Shawn Michaels, he spent the next few months as the WWF champion, but back injuries suffered during the casket match with The Undertaker in Royal Rumble 98, eventually caught up with him. Following his loss to Steve Austin at WrestleMania, where he performed despite his injury, causing him severe pain, Michael spent the next four years on the shelf, making sporadic appearances for WWE 
while he slowly healed up. In this interim, Michaels not only admittedly admitted that he knew of the plan to screw over Bret Hart, but became a born-again Christian at the same time. Michaels made his return to active competition in 2002, and he remained WC, one of WWE's most popular and most skilled performers until his retirement at WrestleMania 26. In December 2009, Bret Hart confirmed that he would return to WWE in 2010 to guest host the first Raw of the year, his first appearance on Raw in over 12 years. And during that show's opening segment, Bret Hart made his peace with Shawn Michaels in the middle of the ring in one of the most surreal moments in wrestling history. He was then, storyline, attacked by McMahon at the end of the show which set up an angle that led up to WrestleMania 26, where McMahon faced Hart in a no-holds-barred match. Although McMahon tried to bribe the rest of the Hart family into screwing Bret Hart over again, they saw through Vince's scheme and double-crossed him, which allowed Hart to finally make McMahon pay for Montreal through 13 share shots and a sharpshooter. He would then receive full closure for what he'd been looking for. As part of the angle, Hart's father, legendary Canadian wrestler and promoter and trainer and patriarcher of the Hart family, the late Stu Hart, received a posthumous induction into the WWE Hall of Fame. After that WrestleMania, Bret Hart appeared sporadically to help put over the Hart dynasty. That was David Hart Smith and Tyson Kidd and Natalia. He served as Raw's general manager for a brief period. The Nexus would eventually take him out. He would then be inducted into the Hall of Fame. In 2018, again, with his partner, Jim the Anvil Neidhart, another posthumous induction. Both Hart and Michaels continue to make cameo appearances in WWE events, even to this day. Michaels is actually a trainer in NXT. But man, what an event. The Montreal Screwjob was not just some kind of side angle. This is before all of these angles happened. All these insider angles owe everything to that one event. Now, was it real? Was it worked? I don't know. I don't care. I just remember going, what's going on when this thing was happening? I had no idea. Why? Because my favorite wrestler, Bret the Hitman Hart, had just been hosed out of his championship, of any chances for a send-off and a goodbye in WWF. And then I remember I remember Watching his years in WCW just, just just seemed so wasted and cheap. For what? I don't know. But that is what happened this week in wrestling history. We're going to move on to Wrestling with Hope's word of the week. It is patience. But I'm not going to bring it to you. I'm going to share with you guys a clip out of the interview that we did in our new in our uh, in our uh, bonus interview show called WWH in this corner let's hear from the undisputed eras Bobby Fish about what patience is um i i think what i've found the most um comfort in and struggled with the most at the same time is is trust and being able to surrender to a higher power or surrender to this, you know, higher intelligence than that of you and I and trust that it's figured out already. It's, it's, uh, that, you know, you, and I struggle with having patience, you know, Um, I'm with you. And I, I, (laughs) I, I get the good, I get the, the breadcrumbs, you know, I, I see them along my path and, uh, each one of them, um, is is more faith and each one of them is more hope but each one of them is also you know almost like a almost like a drug addict almost like another hit and um you you've you've got to take those in in a way that is patient and understand that it's probably not going to happen on your schedule it's going to happen um what's supposed to happen is going to happen but it's going to happen according to the timeline that's already there and that may not jive with your timeline and your process may not be the same as uh you know someone else's process so when it starts to include other people 
you know, with where, with where she is or where this person is with, with their process yeah. also factors into it. So it's your process, their process, kind of finding each other and seeing how they fit together and then having faith in that, you know, you, you don't, you don't need to figure out how it's going to get there. It's, it's going to get there and you just got to have faith that that is, um, that that's the case that it's, it's working itself out as we speak and that patience is, is, is probably your, your biggest ally, but it's, it's also the, the most difficult thing to, I feel like it's the most slippery thing of, of all of them. Like it's, it's something that I feel like I can remind myself to have and uh, be present with it and sit with it and go, Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm patient. This can happen. And then, like I said, you get some, get one of those breadcrumbs and (laughs) now you're ready for all of it to come for all of it to come now. And, uh, you got to calm yourself back down. It's kind of like a meditation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you have those times where your mind wanders and you go, Oh, I I do need to get up and you start thinking about time and, um, you calm your brain back down and you say, Nope. Want to thank Bobby fish for that word of the week. And also, just thank you again. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that interview, go ahead and listen to it. It should be in the same podcast feed. You could also look it up at wrestlingwithhope.com, and you can get that interview with Bobby Fish. It was really great. All of those uh, WWH In This Corner interviews, Bobby Fish, the Russian Nightmare, Nikita Koloff, Drake Wirtz, all those interviews are great. Really proud of them. If you have been enjoying what you're listening to here on Wrestle With Hope, contact us. You can drop us a voicemail, 352 352- 340-3648 you can email us wrestlewithhope at gmail.com look us up on Instagram at wrestlewithhope as well as on Twitter and Facebook you can support Ability Tree Florida if you enjoyed the podcast at donorbox.org slash wrestlewithhope another way you can support Ability Tree Florida is by buying some Wrestle With Hope swag you can go to www.shopzone.com and you can purchase a Wrestle With Hope t-shirt mug phone case stickers whatever it is that you'd like all proceeds from those sales go directly to ability tree florida helping families impacted by disability i want to say a big thank you to josiah williams for his song number one contender as our theme song follow him at Dean williams and wrestle and flow thank you to artist greg goslin for his artwork on our logo Follow him at Greg Gosselin on Instagram. See more of his incredible art. Once again, guys, this is Wayne Cordova signing off. And remember, if God is for you, who can dare stand against you? Until next week, then, this would be Gordon Soley saying so long from the Sunshine State. <laughs>